Band of Christian Brothers. Hello and welcome to the Band of Christian Brothers program, where men are emboldened to grow in faith and virtue, ultimately for you to become the man God is calling you to be. I'm your host, David Gilbert, and today we'll be talking about evangelizing your family, being the spiritual head of your family, which will be broken down into identifying the family mission, creating a family culture, unpacking the child God has given you, and entering into the mystery of your spouse. You could find us on Band of Christian Brothers online, at bandofchristianbrothers.com or subscribe and download to the podcast from iTunes or Google Play. Follow us on Facebook or you can find me on Twitter at Gilbert Speaker. All right. So today we have a special guest with us to talk about evangelizing your family, being the spiritual head of your family. And he just happens to be a longtime listener, first time caller, Patrick Sullivan. Patrick, welcome to the Band of Christian Brothers program. Oh, thank you, David. Glad to be here. You didn't you didn't like my joke about the long time listener? Yeah, that's why I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now before we begin, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, also the lay apostolate of Vango that you founded? Certainly. So we've been called as a family unit, so to speak, to start a ministry called Evango. And people often ask about that. It basically means go evangelize. So basically what I do is I go around North America, wherever I'm called to, and we give talks, we give retreats, we give parish missions on helping the baptized fall more love with the faith, but also giving them tips and tricks to go out and evangelize. And our group, our ministry, Van Gogh, does a lot of work of trying to meet the needs in the church, creating programs to help them. So that's, in a nutshell, what we do, and God has been very good. We're drowning with work. As you know, the, the harvest is full and ready, and workers, unfortunately, are very few. So there you go. That's what I'm about and what I'm doing. Well, God bless you, brother, for one of those workers in the field. We definitely need more and more like you. Certainly. So in the past episodes, we've talked about the role of men being the head of their family. And part of that role is to be a spiritual leader. In the code of honor um, that members of the Band of Christian Brothers, men's fraternity anyways, uh, they live by one of the six principles is spiritual leadership. Uh, this principle is defined as, you know, we will lead by example in our words, thoughts, and actions by studying the faith, growing in love and holiness, ultimately living it out in everything we do. So we men of Christ, we're called to be spiritual leaders, not just in our homes, but when we step outside of our homes, in the workplace, the parish, hardware store, whatever. So Patrick, I'm I'm very pleased that you're here uh, to um, head up and help unpack this important role that we men have as spiritual leaders, and in particular being the spiritual leader of our family. Um, the first one is uh, identifying the family mission. Now, why as a man is it important to be a spiritual leader in your family, and why do you need a family mission? Great questions, and again, great work with the Band of Christian Brothers. This, this is a real need. As I've traveled around and I've spoken with many dads, fathers, husbands, um, it's amazing how many men do not realize that to be a spiritual head, they actually need to enter into the mission they've been given. It's kind of like setting up to play a game but not realizing that you're in a game or setting out to a war, as we've heard many times from different people, and yet not knowing that you're actually in a war. To be the spiritual head of the family is to actually say, I've actually been given a mission from God, 
not just for me, but for my whole family. And if my family is on a mission, then by golly, what is it? Because I can't do it. I can't be the leader of that group entering into this mission unless I know that. So there's a connect for all of us, for your listeners as well. Maybe first point in there is I am on a mission. My family is on a mission. And my role within that mission is spiritual head. So let, let's just start from there. And, and then, David, you can lean me in. You know your audience best. What do you think you'd like to chat about there? Yeah, well, I was going to say, what first off, like, how do we identify or create this family mission? And most importantly, what is that mission? Well, the beauty of it is that the mission is already given to us, right? As Christians, as Catholics, we've been given the mission very clearly throughout the Gospels, throughout church teaching, the magisterium. We're all called to holiness, and we're all called to evangelize. So as a family unit, I know that we have to become holy, and holy in the deepest biblical sense is to be set apart. I have to be set apart in a way that's radically different from the world, from the the people who live the secular life around me. So that has to be visible, it has to be potent, and that's what we're trying to do. That's step number one. I have to become holy. My children, my wife, we have to become holy. And once we're on that path, not once we've perfected it, but once we're actually on the path trying, we're also called now to go out and share the good news that, hey, this is what we're about, holiness. We can change this world. We can change this culture we're steeped in if we decide on two things. I've been called to become holy, and I've been called to evangelize. I create it in my home, and then we share it with the world. So how Unless the husband or father gets that, we're in trouble. Yeah, and that's what I was going to get at is, you know, how do we how do we get there? How do you get this holiness, and where does it start? Does it start with the father, the mother, the children? Is this a, a group thing, or is this, you know, first work out your own battles before then you can, you know, give and, and help the, the rest, whether it's your spouse or your kids? Well, in, in any healthy spiritual life, the most important point, the starting point, is always with oneself. So the goal is never to see evil out in the world, evil out in, you know, other people around you. The goal is to find the sin within and work on eradicating it. And then as you're working on eradicating it within, you look out to help heal others around you. See the difference? Obviously there are wounds around us. Obviously there's sin around us. But I need to start healing myself and then look out, imitating the great physician, our Lord Jesus Christ, and go to the, the culture and say, I can help you with that. And the first society that we have in the church is actually the family. So when I go outside of myself, I've started, I'm healing, I'm attending the Eucharist, I'm going to confession as often as needed, I'm picking up pious practices that help me. Once I've started that, I look to my family, my wife, my children, and I give a real look. What are they about? What are they struggling with? How can I help them? You know, I'm their lead. How can I help them to heal? And there's the first step in evangelizing. People forget this. Your first onus, if you're a husband and father, is to evangelize the family God has given you. And there's some very practical stuff we can talk about as the show kind of unfolds, but you have to start with that mentality. Start healing the sin, taking the aids of the church to help you in any which way possible you need, Obviously, the sacraments, many pious practices we have, many devotions, whatever you need to start the healing process, and then go out, which is primarily into your family. Start there. What does my wife need? What do my children need? What would be the most convincing thing I can do for them that God is real, that God is powerful, that God is both 
powerful and playful. So there's something fathers need to strive to, really. I want to be powerful and playful in the eyes of my children. How can I do that? So is that a good start? That is a great start. Now, this family mission you're describing doesn't sound too different from our own individual personal missions as well. You're right. You're right. It's exactly the same. But don't forget, we're all on different vocations. So I'm a married man. I'm a lay person. My mission has to take on a different kind of form in the family unit. And this is what I think is often dropped. People forget about it. We say very often, we hear very often in church world, go evangelize or be holy. But it is radically different for the married man, because the married man primarily has to make this work in his home. And if he's not willing to fight the battle there, well, forget the outside world. It's not going to happen, right? So I look at my wife, I look at my children, and I say, okay, with all the help and wisdom of the Church, how can I do that first here? And what happens? Well, I start to evangelize my wife and my children. They're starting to heal, and now that the process is starting there, we as a family unit go out into the world. Right? We've just multiplied the number of workers in the vineyard. I, I see. On. Now, would would creating a uh, a family culture help c- create or or make this mission more effective? Or, um... yeah. Well, essentially, what the family culture is, it's the particular mode in which you, as a family unit, respond to the mission. So, the mission is the same for all of us, as you were pointed out. But the family culture is going to be radically unique from one family to the next. And that's what we're talking about here. I want my children to look back on their upbringing and say, yeah, Dad was faithful, Dad loved the Church, Dad, he tried for us, he strove for us, he prayed for us, etc., he loved our mother. But I also want them to say, it was joyful. And the joy is what exudes, it comes through your family culture. So what is it your family does that you can say, well, we're the Gilbert family, and we X, we do this thing. Well, we do that because we're the Sullivan family, and we find joy in it. So to give you some practical examples, I know some families whose family culture is literature. They spend all of their time reading, talking about good books, talking about classical books, and through that, they have many examples to speak about the faith. See what's happening there? They know their mission to evangelize, to become holy, and they find it in real life, the day-to-day, through literature. And then they take that knowledge and that experience and those stories out to people they know. Well, that's one example. I know another family who's so into sports, they're on the international level. So what do they do? They have the same family mission as we all have the same family mission, but they create a culture in which you can talk about sports and training and focusing on the goal and doing what you need to do no matter how much it hurts. And they take that life experience, that family experience, and they take it out to the world. And now they have a great paradigm to speak to other people. Why are you Catholic? Why do you do what you do? Well, have you ever trained for something you really loved before? Go ahead. I see. Okay, so so I guess basically to to summarize that, culture is simply uh, a set of beliefs or customs or a way of life, right? Like creating a family culture is, is important because it's within this culture that your kids are formed both in the faith and in character. And how is you how you as a family engage with each other in God, is that correct? Exactly. It's a way of life that may not work for any other family. Right? It's and this is sometimes I, I see it and I lament it. When people do get that they have a mission okay, we have a mission from God, we are supposed to be holy, we're supposed to evangelize, 
but there's no concrete daily family culture to make it alive. It becomes a hodgepodge. It's just a random assortment of stuff that they may or may not do. So well, Sally's doing this, and Billy's doing that, and Mom does that, her own thing, and Dad does his own thing. Well, where's the culture where you can sit back and say, well, I do this because I'm a Sullivan. You know, I do this because I'm a Gilbert. And when you can teach your kids to have this, just watch the faith grow. So how do you, though, create this family culture? Because, you know, this kind of seems forced. And some might even ask, you know, why do we need to actively create a culture instead? And I think you've answered that a bit. Mm -hmm. Instead of just letting it grow or form organically or let the prevailing culture of our heritage, like, you know, you're Italian or Irish or you're Chinese, uh, or society take care of that. Um, you know, those examples that you gave gave us in terms of the sports and literature are great. But, you know, how many families actually have that kind of culture? It seems like we almost well, have this homogenous, cultureless, you know, family life in a sense. And I know, ju- drawing from my own personal experience when it comes to the faith, you know, Advent and Lent are great times to incorporate um, devotions and try to carry that on afterwards and, and make it a part of our daily routine and family culture. Um, but, you know, outside of that, there's n- not too many forms of uh, opportunities to really focus on, you know, building up that culture. So, you know, what would you say to all that in terms of it being forced, not a lot of the people who don't have any cultures and things like that? Well, I think you're right. There, there's a couple of very good points to made. One is when we're talking about culture, we're not talking about I'm Italian, I'm Polish, I'm this, I'm that. But there's a lot in there. There's language, there's literature, there's so many beautiful things. But what we're talking about here is what gifts has God given mom or dad? What things that God seems to have actually naturally infused in us that we love? Our talents. Right, they use the kind of biblical phrase. What talents has God put into mom and dad? What loves has God put into mom and dad that they naturally want to do anyway? See, rather than being forced, and here's another good point you made. In the culture, I look around and I say, "Oh, the Joneses are compete. They're all very musical. I guess we better all be very musical." Oh, the the Phillips family, they're all like on the swim team. We better get on a, a sport team too. It's not about that. It's about saying, what has God infused in mom and dad, the root of this family unit, that we will naturally, lovingly, and joyfully engage in? That is always the starting point for the family culture. If you're a big reader, great. Do you do it with joy? Even better. If you do it with joy and you want to, that's what you should be sharing with your children. And that's the vehicle that the culture, this is the culture of the vehicle, that's the vehicle that we're bringing the mission forward to our children. And here's the, here's the truth. Children love what their parents love. If I love music, my children will love music. If mm. I do, if I really love it, I'm joyful about it, and I make it my everyday. If mom really loves something, the kids will really love something. And just as we have gifts, and that trickles into our family, it becomes a culture, we're all working on it, God has given these children some of their own gifts as well. How does that work into the family culture? So far from being a forced thing, this is looking honestly at who God has given you, who God has called you to, in the case of the spouses, and saying, okay, what did God assemble here? What did he breathe into the world through our family? That's your culture. Enough of trying to run with from what you love. Enough of trying to run from the gifts God has naturally given you. 
find a way to inculcate them in your family unit, and now you have a culture. Wow, okay, yeah, that, that's definitely... joyfully, wonderful. That, that's definitely helpful, but what would you say to those who say, well, you know, I don't, I don't have any interests or I don't have any talents? How can you help them to try and identify, you know, what, what gifts or, or joys God has given them that they could create this, this family culture? Absolutely. One of the obvious ways, of course, is to say, do you have any training in something? And not just training that you have to take, but training that you followed for some reason because you enjoyed it. So if that's not there, then it becomes a little bit more difficult, but it's not impossible. And it's not impossible because all of us struggle with virtues and vices, right? I assume. I can't speak for you, Dave. I do, and (laughs) people in my family do. But everyone that I've met so far in life struggles with virtues and they tend toward certain vices because of their concupiscence. Mm-hmm. What virtues do you naturally have in your life that you say, oh, I don't really struggle with that? Actually, to be quite honest, I'm really good at that. I'm actually patient with people. I don't know why I am, but I am. Well, there's an infused virtue you have there, and it's a gift from God. And conversely, there's some vices you struggle with, some vices I struggle with. And when I am honest with myself, I say, oh, geez, look at that. I can't believe I struggle with that. So if you need a different starting point, I haven't pursued anything over a long time, I don't really have any interest that I know about, it's hard for me to think about, start with the virtues you have. Hmm. For example, one of my sons, he loves fixing things. And it's not a talent in the sense that he's gone and received training. It's not even really an interest of his in the sense that most people talk about it. It's kind of like he's just good at it. And he's good at it because he has the virtue of patience. He has the patience to sit down, look at a problem, and say, I think I can deal with this. And he sticks in two or three hours. doesn't matter what it takes. He can do it. So if you don't have those other starting points, I have a natural, quote-unquote, talent, or I don't have certification in something that affirms that I have a joint for something, or whatever, I don't have an interest, look to your virtues. What do you find naturally coming to you that are actually difficult for other people? And this, by the way, is a great thing to bring to your spouse, because often we can't see our virtues. And God does that, too. Yes. He hides it from us, too, keep us humble. Well, and our spouses are great, too, at, at finding our faults, not just our virtues. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> remember, remember, in this exercise, we're not going after our faults. You don't build a family culture on your faults. You build a family culture on your virtues. Yes. Uh, and, and that's so, an excellent know, point, building it upon your virtues and not your faults. One thing, though, Patrick... Uh, that you mentioned before was was language. And, you know, language does shape the culture and how we engage with others. Um, I know in terms of, you know, in my family, we tend not to go to the person. We tend to shout. <laughs> and, and that yeah. definitely builds into uh, a culture and how we engage with each other. Um, can you a little, speak a little bit about, you know, how to engage each other and the importance of language and kind of maybe some, some do's or don'ts or helpful tips on that? Oh, for sure. One of the, before we even get to that, we need to kind of make a distinction for ourselves. Okay. When we engage in things that are not our family culture, in other words, our mom and dad will look at the, the previous week and say, you know, we didn't actually do anything concretely that made the culture come alive. And if the culture's come alive, then the mission is alive. We didn't really do that. It's not that you created an anti-culture. We have to be clear about that. It's not that suddenly we're creating a culture that's vastly different. What we just did is we nullified the culture, right? It's not like if I, if I plant seeds here 
I'll have flowers. But if I don't plant seeds, then I'm going to have turnips. No, it's there will be no flowers. So the moments mm-hmm. where we're not living up to the family culture, what we're actually doing is we're saying it's okay just to live in this blah land. And that's our current culture, blah. It's not necessarily an anti-one. It's just blah, there's nothing, nothing. And, and God wants life. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if there are some very bad habits, and that's what vices are, usually leading towards sin. If there are some very bad habits that my spouse and I can identify, guess what? We need to put that on the table, and we need to make a rule about it. And we'll talk about this another time, David, I'm sure, but in the, doing a family program, how to help families build this culture of the mission. And one of the things we talk about is boundaries. Hmm. You actually need to set a boundary for you, your spouse, your children, that we Sullivans don't do this, and then name whatever that bad habit is. So we Sullivans do not swear at each other. There are many families out there who that's their everyday, that's normal for them. And we're saying, no, we could, but we're not going to, because it's not an anti-culture, it's just a bland, desolate culture, and we don't want that. We want a joyful one, and this seems to nip the joy in the butt. I see, so... if there's because I just wanted to interject there, you know, you say, okay, we Sullivans do this or we Gilberts do that. It could kind of come off as, you know, uh, you're sticking up your nose or, or kind of judgmental or condescending. But mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is it's not so much that, it's holding yourself up to a higher standard and not Absolutely. lowering that um, that standard. Correct? Absolutely. And you're right. This is a double-edged sword. The danger is with anything we do in life is that when we lift ourselves up to God's plan, the danger is we start to push others down. So I'm assuming here that that's not in our, our audience, that we know that. The point of saying, we Sullivans don't do that. I don't know about everyone else in the world, but we Sullivans are called by God to be holy and to evangelize. And we Sullivans want to do that joyfully. So this is our culture. So it becomes a quick little phrase for your kids, even for yourself, your spouse is a nice reminder, but we seldom still do that. There's no malice intended against other families, there's no malice intended against anyone. It's just we seldom, we are held to this standard, period. And when you have that quick phrase going, you say it enough among your it's not only believable, it's far, it's far beyond believable, it's an expectation that you want to strive towards. Why would I do this vice when I'm a Sullivan? And I'm on a particular mission in God, being grown through a particular culture that's life-giving and joyful, and it's creating great memories, and it's affecting people around me. Does that make sense? That makes sense, and that's a beautiful way to put it. And on that note, let's just uh, take a short break, and we'll be right back with you in a moment. All right, and we're back, and we were just finishing talking with uh, with Patrick about creating a family culture, and the next thing after you know being the the spiritual head of your family and evangelizing your family, uh, the next point is unpacking the child God has given you. Children are a great gift from God; they're a blessing. However, they are oftentimes, especially when they get older, difficult to unpack. I know for me, Patrick, uh, it takes a lot of effort, and usually from mommy, to help understand what's going on in their minds, especially what's bothering them. So how do we unpack the child and the children that God has given us? Well, quite simply, David, we need to go back to the tools the Church has given us for millennia. 
when you think of a, a spiritual director, one of the things they try to do is they kind of put you through the ringer of virtues and vices, talents and gifts, deadly sins. They look at you as a, a beautiful gift created by God, obviously, but then they say something's gone wrong here. I'm going to find what that is. Okay, So we can do that as well with our own children. I can look at my child and I can say, what virtues do you actually have? What vices do you struggle with? And I go from there. The number one point, though, is this. If you as a father are not going to take the time to figure them out, well, no one will. It sounds bleak, but it actually is. I'm sorry. Fathers have this role, this ability to catalog our children. It harkens back to Adam in the garden, and he's naming everything. He's cataloging them, which means according to the name, according to the logos. So I'm looking at my child, and I I have to step back as a father and say, I love them, but what gifts do they have, and what kind of problems do they have? More religious language, what virtues and what vices. So how would you you identify that, Patrick? Because, you know, if you're just always just playing with your kids, Lego, or, or watching movies with them, those aren't necessarily times where you could find out their, you know, gifts, but also to what they're what they're struggling with. What, uh, how, what kind of time um, or activities are you, are you suggesting that would be beneficial to help identify those characteristics in your children? Well, you make a great point. If all you do with your children are passive um, events, such as watching something, I see it and I passively receive it. Well, it's going to be difficult to do this. But if you're actually going to watch something and discuss it. Well, you'll be amazed how the world opens up and you, how do they process things? How do they take things? What do they focus in on? What do they think is important, not important? And that can work definitely with older children. But when you take an active event, even playing Lego can be a very active event. What do you want to build, son? Why do you want to build it? Ooh, here comes my character, son, and he's going to be destroying your gate. What do you think? How do they react to that? There's lots of things you can do in the active sense playing. Uh, if you're wrestling with them, if you take your daughter out on a little date and see what they want to discuss, how do they want to dress up for it? Their virtues and vices become glaringly obvious to a father who is actually paying attention. This is why I'm, I'm often quoted as telling people to take a date with your children. Go on a date if you can, somewhere away from the family unit. Go for coffee. Go for them. You have coffee. They have no go where they need. But sit there and talk about what they want to talk about. If you can't do that, Take 15 minutes, that's one to five minutes, and give your child full attention. Guess what will happen? You will see what they gravitate towards to. And here's a fact. People gravitate towards what they're either good at and their virtues. They already have great habits about them, but also what they struggle with, their bad habits, their vices. So Hmm. it will not take very long if you let it happen. Give them an event that's active. It will take next to no time for, you'll see, they'll gravitate towards what they are good at, what they like, their virtues, and a huge swing of the pendulum to the other side of what they're bad at, what they struggle with. And it'll come out in the conversation. It'll come out in how they play. So I, one of the best kind of words of advice, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, I received years ago when I was a first-time parent. Now we have seven beautiful children. It was, watch your children at play. Well, Why? Because when children are at play, they're most of the time themselves. They're not trying to look this way or that for the teacher. They're not trying to look this way or that for 
their parents as they're doing chores. When they're at play, their virtues and their vices come to the forefront. Now, are you so talking about when they're when they're when you're talking when they're at play? Is this play at home, engaging with their siblings, or is this play with with other children? Because like I know as a father, mm-hmm. my kids act totally different with other kids rather than with each other. Mm-hmm. The the situation you're looking for is when they're most comfortable. So if your child is not comfortable or as comfortable as it could be around other children, that's probably not the best spot. I mean, you can still learn a lot because you can see what your child pulls out of their pocket as a tool to deal with uncomfortable situations. For me, find a time, the place where they are most comfortable. For our family, usually that's in the home, and that's watching my children interact with each other. Um, It also does a double duty because now you can see how multiple children, what do they pull out of their toolkit when it's time? So that's a great question. Find the point where they're most comfortable, and hopefully that's with you, where you're at play with them, when you're taking them out on a date, and you observe. Ask them questions. Let them ask you questions. This is not a time to discipline. This is not a time to, you know, set the record straight for them on X, Y issues. This is a time for them to be completely comfortable in your presence and to enjoy them. But you're keeping note. You're keeping pointers. You have that notebook in your mind. You're saying, oh, wow, I didn't realize that my daughter maybe talks a lot about her. Well, beauty, that could be a problem. It might be vice. <laughs> yeah. Or on the other side, my daughter keeps saying like self-deprecating things about herself. Like, why is she acting like she's not beautiful? Why is she saying, you know, my son, he sounds very proud in a very negative sense. Or, you know what, my son is he's so willing to give things away in a very positive sense. So you can observe it during those times. Does that make sense? That definitely makes sense. That's very, very helpful. And I think, too, we have to take a much more active role because that's that's a lot more difficult than, yeah, the, the passive thing. And one other thing, too, is when you're spending time with your kids, it's also quality time. Don't have your smartphone with you and, and checking or texting. Absolutely. Uh, your kids Absolutely. are watching and they pick up your bad habits. Absolutely. And if they're learning that when they're in your presence, the phone is more important. They, they are making some conclusions about that. The fact of the matter is they do not know how important that email is that you're getting from work. They do not know that you're trying to massage your relationship for this other part of your career or whatever it is. They do not know that another adult needs you or needs something from you. All they know is when it came down to me or this device, the device won. And that is a very sad and dangerous message to send to our children. Yes. Now, here is something you can do in your family, even if you do not have the time for those 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, we're going on a date, we're going to wrestle, whatever it is. If you can gather your family for a meal, doesn't matter which one, but you can talk about the seven deadly sins. And it sounds morbid, but it's not. You look around the table and say, let's discuss gluttony. Let's discuss wrath. And you go through it. And the reason why this is so powerful is it gives them an understanding of what can happen beneath the waters, even though we can't always see it. Sometimes it's very difficult to pull out. So I say to my children, you know, gluttony is when you just really want food. I've got to put it in language they can understand. Food becomes more important than the person right next to you. Very simple, childlike language. Food becomes more important than the people at this table even. Well, put up your hand if, and you can make a game of it, we do often. Put up your hand if you think you struggle with this, and Daddy will put up his hand, and maybe Mommy will put up her hand. And the kids realize it's okay to admit the things they struggle with. Very simple. There's no judgment. There's not, oh, you need to work on that. None of that. It's just 
it's a terrible thing, isn't it? I know when I feel gluttonous and I actually give into it, I don't like myself very much. Do you guys ever feel like when you do one these seven deadly sins that you don't really like yourself? And see what's happening. It gives them permission to, A, to recognize it, to name it, and to let mom and dad know it, the people who can help them the best. And it removes the shame. And devil, you know the devil, he always wants us to be ashamed of the things he coaxes us into. So in one fell swoop, meal after meal, I'm getting to know the child that God has given me. I'm getting to understand how they can work in the family culture and become more joyful. And I'm understanding in real time what my child is struggling with. And guess what? When it comes time to discipline, if it's something along those lines, I'm not really surprised, am I? So it breaks down my stress levels as well. So hopefully that helps for, for the family that's really on the go in their career or whatever it is makes it difficult to spend the extra undivided time with their child. Can you get a meal in with your family? If you can, try making this a conversation piece from time to time, and I think you'll be glad you did. All right. Well, thank you. No, that definitely really helps in terms of understanding and unpacking the child God has given us. I think with that, Patrick, we're just going to take another short break and we'll be right back after this. Okay, and we're back. And uh, we just finished up talking about unpacking the child God has given us. And our last point in terms of uh, being the spiritual leader of our family and and evangelizing our family is entering into the mystery of your spouse. And uh, Patrick, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this last point. But before you begin, I mean, for us men who are married, you know, our spouse is our primary vocation. And within that vocation, you know, it's our job to get her to heaven. This is this is our mission as married men, given by St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. So how do we enter into the mystery of our spouse so that we can effectively achieve that? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the, in many ways, the primary point. We have to get them to heaven. But before we hit that, we need to make two other small points. So if you have your audience writing stuff down, maybe they are, maybe they are. Let me just kind of put those out at the forefront. Okay. We need to woo I mean, we need to woo them, woo the wife God has given us. We have to go out, I'll talk a bit more about that in a second, but we need to look for ways to attract them. So you mean it doesn't stop after we marry them? The the, the wooing continues? It continues, that's right. Second point is we have to try to understand them, because they're very different from us. Psychologically, spiritually even, very different. And then the last one, getting them to have a no. The reason I, I do that and I mention those two points is because it is a sad fact. Spiritual man, someone who wants to get to heaven, he wants to get his wife to heaven, he says, well, that's the most important thing. So as long as he harps on her enough about the need for her to get to heaven, that will somehow work. No, <laughs> you're actually making it worse. Decided to try to get her to heaven. But if she doesn't see in you a loving, caring spouse, there is going to be a complete distortion of God's plan in your wall. Does that make sense? I do. Look, God woos us to him. He gives us truth, beauty, goodness, wooing us through creation, through the scriptures, through the teachings of the church, and then some of us mistakenly turn around and try to bludgeon the person closest to us, saying, you better get to Mass. You better be as holy as I am. You better make sure that you're, you're a saint. Well, that's not going to work. That's not how our God works. No, if you want your spouse, your wife, 
to seriously consider, I want to be a woman of God, I want to be in heaven, really, then you need to what? You need to first woo her. You need to hold out the honey that you brought to her in the first place when you're first enamored with each other. She needs to know that for her, next to the church, you are the most beautiful thing in the world. And I think this makes sense to most men, but sometimes we just need to really, really hit them on the head with this. Your wife needs to know that she is the most beautiful woman on the planet. She needs to know that you would drop everything and anything for her. And that might mean that you have to say to her and mean it, if it meant choosing my career or choosing you, I would choose you in a heartbeat. Yeah, and I think that's pretty difficult, too, because a, a lot of us men, we wrap our identity around our, our profession, our work. You're right. You're right. And this is, and once our wives get a sense of that, that really I'm not in, as important as the job he's chosen for himself, not because it's an important job for the community or for whatever, but to my husband, this is more important to, than I am. Whoa, we're down a dangerous road. Yeah. Although some some men though might argue, well, I'm doing this because of her, because I love her, to provide for her, to give her what she wants. So it's kind of a, a double edged sword, I guess. It's a double edged and delicate sword because mm-hmm. obviously, as husbands, we need to make decisions that are good for our spouse and our children, regardless. But if you knew that doing good deeds and good things for your children meant that they would actually never think that you love them, well, you have some <laughs> terribly difficult decisions to make. Every human being needs to know that they're loved. Mm-hmm. And in a particular way, children need to know that their parents love them in a very particular way. And spouses need to know that in a unique, God-given way, this person loves me in a way that's different than everyone else. It's a need. This isn't a want. If you want your spouse, your wife, to flourish, to be happy, joyful, to be uh, the person God has called her to be, then please trust me, they need to know that you're madly in love with them. And if it happens that through life experiences and things that you're just not feeling that right now, well, guys, tough. Find a way, and there is always a way to fall again madly in love with her. Get to that point again. So that's the first thing. You woo her. Does she like flowers? Get her flowers. Is there some event she's been pining to go for for years? Maybe it's a Serbian event, right? <laughs> Whatever it is, get her there. Show her that you know you're listening, you understand it. We'll talk more about understanding the female psyche in a minute. But you are trying to give up all else for her. Yeah, and I think it's really important, important, too, is, you know, actions speak louder than words, but also, too, I'm just reminded of that book, uh, The Five Love Languages. So yeah. you might be speaking a different language than they are, uh, and you're kind of getting frustrated. So it's it's an excellent book. I'm not going to go into what the five love languages are, but a lot of people use that term. You're not speaking my love language. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. maybe that kind of ties love in a different way. Exactly. And and maybe that ties into your next one maybe, but you know, just understanding your your wife's uh love language, you know, helps in terms of trying to understand her as well. I don't know, but for for sure. No, it's a, it's a great point because when understanding your spouse, first of all, women just generally think differently. Generally. This is not hard and fast rules, but generally, if we were to take polls and studies, and they've all been done before, women think differently than men. This is not a shocker to us. Any man who's been married for any amount of years knows, in fact, just speaking to some newlyweds uh, recently, the, the fact was right there, and it was blatant. Wow, my spouse, my wife is so 
different <laughs> than I am. Part of your, well, your mission, if you will, as a husband and father, is to figure that out. But it takes time. So, David, you're right. Point to the love languages. You have this book by, I believe it was Dr. Chapman who put that forward years ago. People receive love and try to give love in different ways. Well, what is it for your spouse? You need to figure that out. There's the languages of evangelization. Well, what language do I need to speak to them so they can hear the gospel better? Do they like argument? No. Do they like beautiful things? No. Well, maybe it's good news. You have to spend the time as the husband saying, this is what she needs for me to woo her, and now here's actually how she sees the world, processes the world, thinks about the world. I need to learn about what that is. Because if I can do that, again, it makes wooing easier. It makes trying to get her to heaven easier. It makes lifting her up easier. So not that difficult. Also understanding here, though, is doing the same things we do with our children. What virtues do you have? What vices do you struggle with? All of these things are vastly important. But it takes time. It does take time. And one thing that, uh, that's that been greatly beneficial for me anyways is, you know, uh, you and I are both members of Teams of Our Lady, which is a lay apostolate for married couples. And one of the endeavors or what you could say is homework is, you know, a monthly sit down where you sit down with your spouse. You know, you, you start with a prayer and a candle and you invite God into the conversation. But then one person speaking, the other person just listens and they're not allowed to interrupt or interject. And you talk about, you know, what's going on spiritually, financially, in your job, you know, with your kids, your wife, anything and everything. And I just found initially that really was tough and it actually created more arguments than anything else afterwards. But as we got into it, as we started to understand each other and and invite God in and, and get more comfortable with that process of, you know, making ourselves vulnerable, um, it really, you know, helped us to, to work out things in our marriage, but also, too, to understand each other. Absolutely. What a wonderful way to do it. If you can, for sure, and I tell people this the same, sit down with them and actually give them time to talk. Women love to talk. It's a general truth, isn't it? doesn't apply to everyone, but I know in our own house, Kyla loves to talk. Now, she's shy out there in the world. She's more of an introvert, but when it's in our own home, she would happily have me sit down and listen to her for hours, which is wonderful. But if you're not there yet, there are many couples who are not, they can't. They just feel like they can't. There's too much judgment on the table, too much criticism. They can't. They're not in the spot to sit down for that hour or whatever it is and just talk and listen, talk and listen. Here's what you can do, men out there, in these relationships. You can be the detective. You can say, okay, I'm a detective assigned by God to figure out where my wife is at. So you start collecting information. And from time to time, part of the wooing process, you reveal a little bit of what you found. Hey, I never noticed before, honey, but you've got really beautiful eyes. Now, that may be you just knowing you're getting brownie points, or maybe you've actually realized it for the first time and that you, or in a long time, my wife does have really beautiful eyes. Or maybe you found out she's actually really good with the children. You know, letting them in on the, the homework that you've been, the detective work you've been doing. You know, you find out your wife really struggles with a particular thing or a particular person. Just kind of sharing that from time to time in the right way. Honey, I noticed that this person stresses you out. Is there anything I can do to help you or do you want to talk about it? It says to them again that I'm important to this person. And they are taking the time to learn how I think, what I'm going through, what 
struggles do I have? And they're not coming at me with, you know, javelin. They're not coming at me to condemn me, to slaughter me. They're coming at me as one who loves, as a beloved. And if you can do that, amazing. You know, the time will come where you can sit down. But first, if you're starting with, be a detective. I need to enter into the mystery of my spouse. What is she like? Where does she come from? Where does she, what are her hopes and dreams? I, I'm hoping this is all making sense, but uh, it would be a really cool thing, David, in the future to get an audience in front of us and let them throw questions at us like crazy. Because I know this is tons of information for your viewers right now. Oh, exactly. No, but this is definitely really helpful and definitely a good starting point for, for them to to start that journey and to understand uh, their wife. And I understand you have some other uh, parenting and family projects, so we'd definitely love to have you on and discuss more about that uh, Oh, in another yeah. time. Really looking forward to that. So, moving on to the next thing, though, you were talking about getting to he- getting her to heaven. How, how do we uh, how do we achieve that? What does that look like? Well, the first is actually a negation. You have to make the decision that you are not going to be the guy who constantly says, "Hey, are you praying yet? Why aren't you praying yet? Hey, you haven't read the spiritual book yet. Why haven't you read the spiritual book?" No one needs that, and very few people respond even remotely well to that. I mean, Christian brothers. Husbands, friends, guys, we can do that to each other to a point. We really can. What's wrong with you? Get up and do something. Come on, do something for your faith. But our wives, remember, they need to be wooed by us. Here's something that's very attractive to a wife, okay? And guys, I hope you're taking notes here. Rather than saying, hey, you haven't prayed your rosary yet, do you think you're going to get to your rosary today? You can see how this might come off as a little accusatory. Why not try this? Hey, you know what? I know you were struggling with that thing yesterday, so... I just prayed a, a rosary for you. Let me know if it helped. Or or you could say, hey, yeah. baby, I lost my rosary. Can I use your fingers? <laughs> you can, but we're talking about the spiritual life here. No, no, no. But it's a... <laughs> You're including her in the rosary, okay? Come on. Yes, yes, what that is. Right? So you can take a suggestion if that's what needs to be done that day. But what we're talking about is getting the faith to sound like honey to them. And I'm talking worst-case scenario. I'm talking we have this situation where maybe our spouse is actually kind of, well, doesn't want to hear about the faith, doesn't want to hear about this religion you have. Nothing is more attractive to them than you making sacrifices on their behalf. Wow. Finding out that someone's praying for you, even even if they don't believe in prayer, that is something. And if you're saying, hey, I read this really neat book, do you mind if I tell you about it? That's very different than saying, hey, you really need to read this book. Tell me when you have the time to read this book. Well, and that's a very good point that you make, Patrick, because I know many um, people who are married, and oftentimes... You know they're on they're on different paths in their journey in in the faith and and sometimes one spouse excels or exceeds the other in their faith journey uh, and in, and in some cases the other one just stops while they continue growing and it, and it does cause quite a rift or or some kind of uh, you know um, sorrow or pain that their their spouse is not participating in this joy and in their faith so that's an excellent point that you, that you just made in terms of making that witness. Uh, and and those those sacrifices and and acts of uh, of prayer and things like that for them. Mm-hmm. And with their wives in particular, Dave. I mean, we already know that generally the studies have been done for years. They love to talk more than that. When I say to my spouse, if I turn to Kyle and I say, "Hey, I read this really cool book. Let me know when I can catch you about it," because I really, I don't know, I just really want to talk to you about it. So then it's oh, he wants to talk. 
It's such a wow, cool moment. I'm not saying, hey, I found this that's probably you and you need to work on it. I found this that looked at it. No, it's I'm excited about something and I want to talk to who? I want to talk not to my drinking buddies or something like this. I want to talk to the friend, the spouse God has given me right here in my own home. That goes a long way with them. And you know what? Sooner or later, they too will want to pick something. Can I tell you about what I read? It's not as good as the stuff you read. It's not as long or as in-depth as the stuff that you read. It's not as spiritual as the stuff that you read, but can I tell you about that? And if you've got your head about you, you will find the spirit's truth in there, and you'll help to get to the material later on in life. Remember, you have a lifetime with this person. Take your time. Don't bludgeon them. Love them into the faith. Love them into a greater relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does that sound? That sounds amazing. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, and you know what though, Patrick, you ended at a great time because uh I'm just looking at the time right now and we're we're a little pushing it right now. So, to wrap things up though, uh overall, what would you say to the men listening about evangelizing your family, being the spiritual head of your family? Very quickly, David, I would say get your priorities in order. Recognize the mission that you have to become holy and evangelize Create a culture in your house, learn, strive to understand your children, what they're struggling with, and then enter into the mystery that is your bride. Do not stop it. Just don't stop. Go at it like this is the biggest thing in your life, because it is. Awesome. Well, God bless you and all the work that you're doing for his kingdom. Uh, Patrick, um, if people want to find your apostolate or get a hold of you, how can they do that? The simplest way is going to evango.net, and you'll see all different ways to contact me right there. Sounds good. All right, well, that's it for today. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Listen to us on bandofchristianbrothers.com, iTunes, or Google Play. And remember, iron sharpens iron. Become the man God created you to be. Signing off in here. God bless you. Bye-bye. 